Hello there. Welcome to Freedom International live stream. And I'd like to open by appreciating all of you out there who's just doing your part so that we can continue to help this evolution for real sovereignty and freedom, especially with our bodies. Okay. And so, and we are most appreciative because we have our guest, Leslie Manukian. And you know, she's a brilliant chains maker and all the brilliant chains maker they're busy so if they are with us it's a precious moment so we do appreciate that and i hope you all could appreciate that now leslie has a strong social media presence or internet presence so if in the course of this conversation you want to search um in the internet, anything that she refers to, feel free. And remember what resonates to you. And if you feel that this conversation will help other people, please do share it. And after this uh, live stream, we will upload it in our different um, podcast live uh, platforms, like in BitChute for like, just follow Roy Awakening podcast, the Quantum Nurse podcast, so in Rumble, and so in many audio. So after this, it will always be available for you. So instead of uh, me saying more about Leslie, what I really want <laughs> Leslie to do is, um, I like her to give herself the introduction because whenever she tells that story, especially um, the story when she began, when she was still working in finance and not just working in finance, she, she was up there in the level where people go to her and she is a key in making decisions, choosing stocks and all, all that uh, things that you will help you financially be, you know, improve your financial situation. When I hear her say that, it's really the power of her sincerity and that eureka moment that she shared is so important. So Leslie, please go ahead and tell us what significant things and that brought you to where you are right now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much to all of you for having me here today. Um, I really appreciate it. And it's an honor to be with you guys. Um, yeah, I've had a, it's, it's funny because, you know, many generations ago, people did one thing for their whole life, for their whole career. And I'm pretty much on my fourth career. <laughs> um, and that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Because we have to follow our heart and our path. And for me, although I, in many ways, when I was younger, felt that I'd grabbed the golden ring and had money, power, position, and success, I was empty. And so, um, you know, I was, I, I went to the University of Chicago and got my MBA and then I went and worked at Goldman Sachs in New York and they transferred me to London and, um, you know, I was doing super well. I was, um, very successful and being paid a lot of money, but it just didn't really resonate with me. And I thought that maybe that the reason it didn't resonate was because <clears throat> I was working for an investment bank and an investment bank has a inherent conflict of interest. And so I quit and I went to go and work for a client because so an investment bank has two sets of clients. They have investment managers and they have corporations. And those two groups are not at odds with each other, but they have different interests. And so one firm trying to service both of those 
clients is an inherent conflict. And I felt that all the time internally at Goldman Sachs. And it really weighed heavily on me. And I thought, well, if I just went and I worked on one side for one of my clients, one of the investment managers, then it would take away that conflict. So I went and I worked for Alliance Capital, which was one of my big clients. And at the time, Alliance Capital was the largest publicly traded asset manager in the world. And um, I started working there as the telecom and technology analyst back before the tech boom. So this is in 1997 or spring of 98, maybe. And um, what happened was um, the I, I was promoted rapidly to head of research and then head of portfolio management for European growth um, research and portfolios. And my job was interviewing the CEOs of multinational corporations. Um, we would interview sometimes the, the American CEOs, but <clears throat> my focus was Europe. Obviously, that's where I was um, positioned in London, and, um, and that's what I was responsible for. So I chose, essentially, I was one of the key decision makers vetting all of the companies that we would invest in in Europe. And um, what happened, I think the story you're referring to is that this pharmaceutical um, company, one of the biggest in the entire world, came into my office and um, they were coming to reassure us because we owned about a billion dollars of their stock and the stock was getting crushed. It was down about 30%. And the reason that we owned the stock was because they had this blockbuster drug coming up and it was in phase three trials. That's the last stage that a drug goes through before it gets FDA licensure. So what was happening was that rumors were trickling out of the phase three trials that the drug, which is their new big promise and the whole reason we own it, is killing some people. Some people are dying. So <clears throat> the chief executive officer, the chief financial officer, the head of research and development, the head of investor relations all come in to see our team. And there's a conference call to New York to our team in New York as well. And the CEO says, listen, in the phase three trials, you know, some of the people are, it's, it's very rare, but a couple of people have died. A few people have died. And he said, the bad news is that the FDA is going to make us put a black box warning on our packaging. The good news is we still think we'll be able to do $7 billion in peak sales. Now, there was no, not even a breath, not even a pause, not even a, um, a, a moment's awareness of what he had just said, which is that we're going to kill some people, but we're still going to make a ton of money. So basically you should buy the stock. <laughs> and for me, I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. It was really a, a, a pivotal moment in my life. I just was like, I, I was aghast because I had never seen someone be that cavalier in their um, assessment, right, of the trade-off between human life and corporate profits. And I went to my office and I had this, you know, beautiful office overlooking Green Park in London and the Ritz Hotel. And I walked back and forth and paced and paced. And I was, you know, so distressed after the meeting. I marched down the hallway to our pharmaceutical analyst's office and I flung her door open and I marched in and I was like, this is wrong. And she sort of looked at me like, yeah, what do you want me to do about it, lady? You know, that was the kind of um, and the thing is, what could she do? But for me, it was an eye-opening moment. I felt like someone had ripped the veil and it just, 
it connected all these other experiences that I had had when a CEO had said, oh, we're very confident we're going to get the, you know, dam project in Mozambique or in some country, right? We're going to get a power project or something like that. We're so, so confident. I was like, you know what? They must be bribing these people. That's what's happening. That's why they're so confident. And I guess what's really interesting is that, you know, because of this experience I've had, I kind of have had a front row seat at, you know, at, at how essentially the business world at the very high levels work. And it's fraught with corruption. I guess that's the best way to say it. And it's really heartbreaking, but that's what I believe. And that's what I felt. And for me, after that, I knew I had to get out. And I, um, you know, I remember coming home from, from work that day and talking to my husband about it and just being, you know, utterly distraught about it. I, I just couldn't handle it. And I knew that I was playing for the wrong team. And so within a couple of years, um, I had gotten pregnant and I retired. And I retired before I was 40, let's see, how old was I? 38, I think. 38 or 39, I retired. And I committed then and there to making a difference, you know, in the world. I just felt like I'd been essentially putting my skills and my experience and my education to work for the wrong team. And so I decided that I was going to try and make a difference on the planet in a positive way. And I left. And simultaneous with all of this, I had gotten really, really sick. And I thought it was just because of all the stress, but it happened before I'd gotten stress, really stressed. And what had happened was I was living in England where homeopathy is a very um, prominent mes uh, medicine. And so I'd gone to see my own doctor, um, a mainstream, you know, allopathic doctor. And I, kept, and, and I was having dozens of sinus infections and all these problems. And he said, listen, I know you're sick. You know, you're sick, but I can't help you. Western medicine can't help, help you why don't you see an acupuncturist or a homeopath? And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty incredible of him to say that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I went and I booked with a homeopath and I saw this woman and it was life changing so much so that I enrolled in homeopathy college in secret while I was a director of this business. And I started um, studying homeopathy and the very, very first day at the orientation, I learned that there was an issue with vaccines. And um, the, the guy who was leading orientation said that, you know, we're gonna talk about many things over the next three years. We're gonna talk about the mind-body connection. We're gonna talk about nutrition. We're gonna talk about vaccine damage. And I raised my hand and I was like, what are you talking about? Vaccines are the greatest invention of mankind. And, um, and he said, well, you know, that's one perspective, but we're gonna learn about another. And I thought, yeah, right. What a crazy man. This guy's a nutter, you know? <laughs> I mean, I just didn't take him seriously. But after the class, um, he handed me a book and it was a book called Vaccines, Are They Really Safe and Effective? And I went home and I read it. And I'm an analyst, you know, geek by nature. I want to know the facts and the details. And I went and looked in the footnotes and there were 960 footnotes documenting everything in this book that um, discussed allergies and asthma and rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune conditions, seizures, neurological complications, and death after vaccines. And I thought they were totally benign, that there was no, um, they could do no wrong. And once I read that book, I knew that I would take the next step in my journey, which is to make a movie 
on vaccines, a documentary called The Greater Good. And that movie um, really catapulted me into the health freedom arena. One, because just the whole process of researching it over eight years, seven years, I started researching it in like probably 2001 and I've never stopped. And, um, but, but two, also because I was surprised at who our allies were in terms of, um, in terms of politicians and political parties and who really stood for freedom and bodily autonomy. And, and that, you know, took me on a neck, another step. And this all then brings me forward to, um, and, and so just so you know, getting the qualification in homeopathy really helped to open my mind about the importance and not just the importance, but the literally the true magic of all of these ancient healing arts. Homeopathy has been around for 250 years. It's magic. I've never seen a more powerful medicine on the planet, but I've also used all the other holistic medicines that you can imagine. And they've been deliberately sabotaged by those pushing chemical and pharmaceutical based medicine. And so that was another big important chapter in my life. And then what happened was of course in early 2020, when the whole thing unfolded, I knew within the first few days of January, what we were in for, because I've been studying this for 20 years and I know about all the laws that they've changed and everything. And so bringing you full circle on my story, what happened was I, um, um, as soon as 2020 unfolded, I knew that I had to do something. And um, God had brought an amazing attorney who was an experienced um, international commercial litigator into my life at the end of 2019. And, um, this is a man who's taken down some of the biggest corporations in the world. And I started telling him about the vaccine controversies that you can't sue them, that they have no liability, that they cause tremendous damage and all these things. And he would go and do research on them and then call me back and say, this is wrong. And I said, you know what, you're right there, it is. And that's why we're gonna do something about it. And so I founded Health Freedom Defense Fund, which is my nonprofit that seeks to um, change the world and protect our rights through education, advocacy, and litigation. And so in the last year and a half, we've filed, actually it's not even been a year and a half, a year, we filed over 12 lawsuits, some of which we have been successful at and some of which we've lost and many of which are still in process. So it's been a massive awakening in a lot of ways for me. It's really, it's fantastic and amazing to hear your story because from looking from the outside, um, you basically just followed your conscience. You had mm -hmm. such a strong God conscience and then you mm -hmm. kept following the leads and look, look how blessed you were that you have that doctor saying, Hey, we can't help you, but go here. So mm -hmm. that's again, a lead for you. Now yeah. you could have done in many ways also, but why did you decide to, why go through the movie and and you were already aware of what censorship might be. When, didn't you have like a second thought that, okay, maybe this movie might be banned? Okay. So why, why movie? Why you know, not a book? What's so interesting, Grace, is that even though I had those experiences where I saw the CEOs, you know, be totally corrupt. I mean, that's what they were being, right? Um, any, any, kind-hearted thinking person with any integrity would not do what they were doing, right? Um, 
But I just believe that if I made the movie, <laughs> I was so naive, it's incredible. If I just make the movie and tell the world what's really happening, then the people in power will do something about it. I truly believe that. <laughs> I did. I just thought if I just share the truth, everything will be okay. Because even though I knew about all the legislation that they'd been putting, putting in place, I didn't feel that the capture of all the regulatory agencies and the media and the universities and the hospitals and academia and education was so comprehensive yet that we couldn't push back. So, and I also, I think one of the things that I've learned perhaps most profoundly in the last 10 years of my journey is that evil is real. Mm. I think one of the big problems for me as someone who was a spiritual seeker for the last 30 years, um, I really wanted to believe that if I was just good and did the right thing, that people would respond and do the right thing back. And that anything that bad that happened to me was because I didn't handle the situation right. And I've seen, you know, as when I was at practicing as a homeopath, treating all of these, I mean, I remember treating a woman who was being abused by her husband. And she just kept thinking if she was just a better Buddhist, if she meditated more, if she was more pure in her heart, that somehow that was going to fix the situation. And I'm sharing this because I think it's so important for us all to realize that there are evil people evil beings, evil energies, whatever you want to call it, that we are up against. They do not mean well for us. And yes, that doesn't mean that we should, we should lower ourselves to their level, but we must recognize our enemy. We must understand who the opposition is so that we can deal with it appropriately and be aware. We can't just be naive in thinking that, well, if we're good, it's going to change things. But I, at that point in my life, believe that. I believed if I just share this story and I do it kindly and um, in a balanced way um, with measure and intelligence and heart, that it's going to make a difference and it's going to reach the people who need to see it and they'll do something about the problem. And that's... <laughs> I think it reached millions of people and parents. And what it did was it catalyzed this huge movement for parents to stop vaccinating their children, which I'm not allowed to say what my views are. You know, like I'm not allowed to give medical advice because I'm not a doctor. Um, but I do believe that vaccines as they exist today are dangerous. I'm and sure. I, yeah, Leslie, I'm sure it's your, your what you did is helping other people and, uh, you know, but it's fascinating that it, when your intention was to help others, actually it was helping you as well. Because if I remembered it correctly, you still wasn't able even to connect that maybe your medical issues were related to that. And so I, I, I'm emphasizing this because many times it's good for viewers right now that if there's something that you need to act on, as Leslie did, she just acted on it. She's not a filmmaker or a producer, and she just went for it. And she just kept going, and until it helps us keep growing and evolving ourselves. And Leslie, if you you just saw this in just in you just had your Eureka moment in the in in the in that one scenario, but could you imagine as you 
know about finance and investment. Could you imagine if someone had a eureka moment when it comes to wars and who profits from that? I wish someone will have that moment and make that movie and connect all this, you know, who's where those wars, whose company is benefiting and why wars never end. So I, I like to get um, see where your mind is that other than the vaccine. And then after your response, I'll pass it on to Roy. And I thank you so much for you, everything that you're doing. Thank you. I just want to affirm something that you just said, Grace, which is that um, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I would say as I researched more and more, I started to kind of be, you know, think, hmm, but it wasn't until in the middle of making the movie that I was actually speaking with a woman who was the mother of a boy with autism, who had developed autism after his shots, that I, she started sharing her story as an adult with vaccine injury. And that is what helped me really start to connect the dots. And I started to think, oh my gosh, it's like I got autism as an adult at 28. So just so viewers know, what happened was I was 28. I just graduated from business school. I had my big, big job in New York to start in August. And so did a bunch of my friends. And we said, let's all go to Southeast Asia and have fun for two months before we start our, you know, grinding careers, right? Where we're never going to get more than two weeks off. And so we went to Southeast Asia, but before we went, one of my friends said, don't forget to go and get your vaccines. And I went and got, I went to the medical center and I said, I'm going to Southeast Asia. I need to get my vaccines. And I remember the nurse saying, well, what would you, what do you need? And I said, I don't know. She's like, well, what would you like? And I said, I don't know. What do you want to give me? And I literally put my arms out <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want to give me? And she gave me everything, like every tropical vaccine. I mean, cholera, typhoid, hepatitis, A, B. She gave me MMR, DPT, like children's vaccines, you know, like, I don't know, over 10 vaccines in one day. And I slowly, slowly, slowly got sick and sick and sick. You know, within two weeks, I was starting to get sicker, but it just unfolded. It got worse. So I want to um, say that, you know, I did only connect through making the movie and hearing other people's stories. And I'd be like, wow. That's kind of weird. That happened to me. What I developed multiple chemical sensitivity. I'm really sensitive. I can't sleep. You know, I mean, all these things. And I think that's just God, <laughs> right? Leading me on this path because in some ways, it, I think I had to be someone who believed in it. And even though I didn't connect it consciously, I must have known subconsciously that there was something wrong with this. And I think the other thing is I just you know, I'd been on a spiritual path already for a long time. And so I was very much trying to do the right thing and live my life in integrity. Um, and so maybe that's what happened. But the other thing is that I think is so important that you said I want to affirm is taking, I truly believe if we just take the first step, the universe or God or however you see it will open the doors. I didn't know how to make a film, but when I decided I was going to make it, I was seated next at a luncheon to a director, to someone who has, was a successful film director, okay? I didn't know. And then, you know, within two weeks of me thinking, okay, I finished remodeling my house, I'm ready to make this movie, I meet two people who ended up being my film partners and helping me. And we made something that was so much more brilliant. It, we won several awards. 
um, than I could have ever made on my own. But the point is, I had to take the step. I had to think, okay, I'm going to do this. And the same thing with, I'm gonna, you know, make, I'm gonna do Health Freedom Defense Fund. And this lawyer's brought it to my life, right? It's just people, we have to take that first step because when we do, we actually create that intention that then the universe and God will actually help open the doors for us. I really truly believe that. So with respect to war, I think I want to address that from a different angle, which is that it's, I think once you, the thing that was so critical about the whole vaccine debate for me is that once I went deeply into it, I was able to see how the media, how the authorities, how the health agencies, the journals, the university medical centers, the um, trade groups, let's, let's be clear, the American Medical Association and the American, American Academy of Pediatrics, these are trade groups. I mean, would we take the word of the coal industry's trade group for the best thing to do? But we do on these, all right. Anyway, all of these things are all connected. <clears throat> and when you start to begin, and the media, of course, as well, when you start to begin to see them all act in concert to um, smear, demean, and demonize someone that you know to be a good person, and this is what happened with vaccines, with me and Dr. Andy Wakefield, and other people as well. I've known, have, had, had many friends who've been smeared by these, um, these groups. Once you see them all start to operate in concert globally, you can then see through all these other agendas and what can only be characterized as psychological operations. So now, what happened was when I started to really recognize this, I could see all these other things unfolding. When you see oftentimes children being wheeled out into um, the media, that's a red flag that there's something going on that's they're trying to manipulate you. When every media outlet is saying the same thing, the talking points are the same, that's a warning sign. When, um, when, um, <laughs> when everybody's trying to demonize one person or two people, that's a warning sign. So if you look at what's happened, um, and I'm, this is not an endorsement of Trump in any way, I'm just saying, look at what the media did, right? It was Trump, orange man bad for all those years. And then it was COVID bad, and now it's Putin bad. It's the same kind of um, tactics and messaging. And that's not to say that Putin's a good man. I'm not arguing that at all. But there are all sorts of things that are happening There's that, that defy logic and reason. And, and I, you know, it's very convenient because it distracts away from all the Pfizer documents that are being revealed and also allows the authorities to backpedal from the whole COVID narrative and all the COVID measures under the, you know, distraction of this new crisis. So I'm 100% with you. If you look back historically, American businessmen funded the Bolshevik revolution and they funded the Hitler machine. They did. There is a connection and something that I talk about um, a lot in the grand jury, uh, in my grand jury testimony and in other presentations is the connection between the giant private foundations in the United States and essentially sabotaging Western civilization and democracy. 
I think it's a, that's what we're really truly experiencing. And the war machine is just a, another part, another facet of this massive machine that we are living under, but which I believe our, you know, we're, we are awakening to because one of the great silver linings of COVID has been that millions of people have awoken to lies that they were previously asleep to. So I hope that kind of answers what you're asking, Grace. Thanks, Chris. Uh, hi, Leslie. It's um, not sure which angle to go on this, but one that I'd like to discuss with you because you've worked for like two big corporations. I mean, majority of the problems that we're seeing in the world are the wealth of the corporations and how they can actually bribe senators, governments around the world and everything. Because you've got that hat on previously, how would you actually kind of I think we've a better chance of doing that because we see two years we're down the line there's not much happening you know there's a lot of so-called cases and everything I mean I've been in court over a hundred times I know the courts are corrupt as well but I think if we actually get to the individual because at the end of the day you mentioned there's some people that are cold-hearted they're evil we see that but there's a lot that aren't they're just kind of blind how can we get into the corporations and make the individuals the managers the project managers the you know to make the changes so I actually don't think that we're going to have to, Roy, because here's the thing. Who gives the corporations their power? Who do you think, who would you say gives the corporations their power? It's not just their money. It's something else. It's the people by actually... It's the government, right? It's, it's the FDA. It's the CDC. It's the Environmental Protection Agency. It's all the senators who take their money and then do their bidding. So here's the thing. If you ask me, what we're going through is a massive spiritual awakening and a spiritual revolution in many ways. And people are starting to see um, that the system is corrupt to the core. Now, in the United States, it's not been as bad as it's been in other countries precisely because our founding fathers were so brilliant in the way that they um, constructed this country with 50 states, 50 governors, state, legislature, state legislatures. And that's been our safeguard. What's happened, of course, is that our Congress persons and our senators, you know, U.S. Congress people and, con and U.S. senators are captured. 97 of 100 U.S. senators have taken money from the pharmaceutical industry. And I forget what the number is, it's over 90%, well over 90% of Congress, members of Congress. So here's the thing, if those people in Congress were actually responsible to us, then they would be holding the corporations in check, but they're not. And they're not because we Americans, and I will say also you in all other countries, have allowed your systems to be corrupted and bought off and taken over by these vested interests. And so to me, um, what will happen is, and, and, I, and I, I don't think we actually have to do anything because I think that, what, well, we have to stand up, but I think what's going to happen is that the whole system will implode. And that's because the governments are broke. Okay, so the governments are now, what, what's really happening is that they are implementing fascism across the entire Western civilization, in my view. And they're doing this because they know that the governments are broke. So across Europe, if you include the UK, they have nearly $60 trillion in 
unfunded pension liabilities. So promises that governments have made to workers. We're talking hundreds of millions of people. And the governments can't allow the populace to wake up one day and realize that their pensions are gone, that they're never going to be paid what they've been promised and that they worked for for 40 years. Um, and so what's going, what's what are they trying to do? These governments never relinquish their power willingly. Um, they don't relinquish their control or anything like this. And so they're fighting to preserve it and they're fighting to preserve it through the Great Reset, right? First, they attempted to do it under the guise of COVID to try and implement their essentially digital control grid because they want to put all the different pieces in place, right? You need the, the passport, you need, you need a digital currency, you need a digital identification, which is connected to your banking, your identification, your employment, your medical, your travel, your voting, everything, right? And then you also need universal basic income. You need every most people to be on the government dole, meaning that on, their, on the government payroll, because once they're on the government payroll, then they're controllable. But you can't do that without 5G, without the digital currency, without um, the digital identification. So I think what's going to ha what they're trying to do is retain control because they're new, they know they're losing it. They know that they have to do something. And so they've made this alliance with the corporations to control us. And that's why all the airlines and all these big businesses were very happy to comply during the lockdowns and all these other crazy measures for the most part, right? But if people just stand up and say, forget it, we're not doing this, which is what happened in the United States, only, um, only 40% of Americans have gotten a booster. And I think it's only 60 some percent are um, double, have gotten two shots. That's a failure. And so they've had to, to change tack in my view because they know that they have failed. And so now they need to go to step two, which is the war in order to push more fear and implement the next stage. But if people stand up, then I think it will stop. And what I'm trying to really say is that the corporations aren't the problem, the governments are the problem. And the governments are going to fall. They're going to fall if, unless we do, you know, if we, if we stand up, if we do nothing, then we are basically sowing the seeds of our own demise and our own enslavement for who knows how long. But I don't think that's gonna happen. And so my view is that the governments will actually fall because, um, we're going through this massive awakening and awareness of the importance of individual sovereignty. And that as that happens, there's also this massive shift towards decentralization. That's what cryptocurrencies are all about, right? All these things. So I think that's the resolution. We don't have to go after the corporations. I think ultimately they'll fall once the system starts to fall too. That's my view. Okay, excellent. And and now you mentioned that and now you had one with the solicitor that you got involved in. You'd won a few cases. I know everybody's kind of living in fair at the moment, and it's nice to hear a few success stories. So you might let us know what you've won and how you know important it is. Okay, so we we won against LAUSD. Los Angeles Unified School District. And they were the first school district in the United States to shut down in the spring of 2020. And very interestingly, there, the, the United Teachers Union of Los Angeles met with Dr. Anthony Fauci the night before LAUSD lockdown. 
I find that very interesting. And this is really important because we've sued LAUSD twice. The first time the case was dismissed because they rescinded their policy because we won. So basically we sued them um, arguing that it's illegal to mandate an emergency use authorized product, which it is. And so they backed down, they changed their policy. And um, what ended up happening, however, though, was then the FDA pretended that it had authorized Pfizer, even though it has, you know, licensed Pfizer, which it really hasn't. It's still emergency use authorization. There are no, um, no Pfizer shots available today in the United States that are licensed. It's all their EUA products because they retain liability, a liability shield, right? So they're free from any liability as long as they're EUA. And, but that's too hard of a argument to argue. So we've basically gone and we've sued them again last fall over all of their, all of the science. We've sued on the basis of the, the fake tests, that natural immunity is real, that the shots are not actually vaccines, that they don't prevent in or, or, or stop transmission or infection. And we have a slate of incredible scientists um, to go against the powers that be. And we have survived. They have not actually motioned to dismiss our case. And so now we're in discovery. And this is really important because when you're in discovery, you get to look behind the curtain. You get to see their documents and their communications. So I can't wait to see everything that they were saying about having Fauci out, right? And so this is very positive. So, you know, we were able to protect all those people for months and months and months. They were supposed to be getting the jabs in March and thousands of their staff didn't get the jabs because of our first lawsuit, which then got dismissed. But that was a win for us. And then we refiled and some people have been fired. There's no doubt about it. And it's horrible because the, slow, the, the law is slow, but we're now in discovery and that's a very positive thing. And so we're very excited about what that is going to yield in the coming weeks and months. Um, we then have, have um, we've got a fantastic lawsuit against the city and county of San Francisco that's continuing to progress. Um, and we've got several lawsuits against the federal government um, which we're very, very optimistic about. One is about the federal travel mask mandate. You know, you have to wear a mask on transportation and airplanes and things like this. And we're very, very optimistic about that. <clears throat> um, we've got one that's actually stayed, meaning that it's been paused while another um, lawsuit that's being heard in a federal circuit is being, so in a superior court is being heard and we're optimistic about that because of all of the um, injunctions that have been granted by this same circuit. And um, we've got one against the federal government on behalf of over 6,000 federal employees. And that's very, we're very optimistic about that as well. So there's, there's some good, there's some bad. We've had a mask lawsuit dismissed against us and it was literally, it was insane. The, the judge argued that we didn't have standing because the ordinance, the law, wasn't forcing anybody to wear a mask. Well, by that metric, then all laws are voluntary, <laughs> which is clearly insane, but that's what he argued. Um, or that's what he, you know, opined and ruled and dismissed our lawsuit. So, you know, listen, there's no doubt, Roy, what you said is true, that there are a lot of corrupt judges. There are a lot of courts out there that are corrupt, but there are some good ones. And my point 
and my mission is not to only work through the legal channels, but to work by empowering, by educating people about their rights, educating people to stand up and empowering them with the tools to become sufficient, self-sufficient. So one of the things that I want to focus on going forward and we'll be doing so and posting to our website is how to build a small, a local school, how to build a, um, I'm working together with some other people on how to build an integrated, integrated true health system, not a sick care system, a healthcare system. And these kinds of things I think will help. You know, we have to attack from everywhere because even judges who are corrupt someday may see what this is doing to their own children and grandchildren and stand up. And they also are human beings and they're subject to public opinion. So as the tide changes, they may come around to our side. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, when you were traveling, getting, you know, the concoctions of so many different vaccines for, for the travel. And like, I've got friends and family, unfortunately, that have got the poison dart. And like I, I told, look, these are the ingredients. And do you know what the ingredients are? Nobody knows the ingredients, but they're happy to roll up their sleeves. But what scared me as well is that some people got the Mordana and then later the second one was the Pfizer. Like, you know, they don't even think of like tests and stuff like that. So you may just talk about ingredients and a concoction as well. Yeah. Um, I read a story of someone who died recently who had gotten three different jabs. I mean, first of all, that that's legal is beyond insanity, right? Um, there is not one shred of science anywhere on the planet that that's safe that it has any benefit or has any effect, any positive effect. Um, and, and there's no evidence that it's not going to injure or kill you, none. So, I mean, how can that be allowed? I mean, for anybody in a position of power or authority medically to administer three different doses of three different jabs, it's just crazy. Um, okay, that's a huge topic. <laughs> um, I think that the safest thing to say about this, because we could talk about this for hours and days, is that there's no doubt that these shots are extremely dangerous. Even if you look at the Pfizer trials, within three weeks, three months of releasing these shots onto the public, 1,200 people had died. In the past, whenever there has been a... Um, mass vaccination program and a small number of people have been injured or killed, the, the jab has been withdrawn. Okay. During swine flu in 1976, it was 56 or 53, somewhere like, you know, a little over 50. Um, there's now, there've been reports of over 20,000 deaths to the vaccine adverse events reporting system, which is our only reporting system that we have access to. There are other reporting systems that the government has data in. And I'm sure your viewers know that the number of reports to this is extremely low because it's voluntary. It's actually legally supposed to be required for medical professionals to report to it, but they don't do it and nobody polices it. So, and anybody can report to it. So it's extremely fraught, but the most important thing to understand about it is that the vast majority of reactions that people are reporting 
happen within 24, 48, or 72 hours. I mean, the vast majority, we're talking 50, 60, 70, even more percentage of the injuries that people are reporting happen immediately after the shots. That's a really important thing to understand because a temporal association with a medical product is evidence of causation, okay? Not in and of itself, but when you repeatedly see it over and over again, then it's evidence of causation, especially if it's plausible and all these other things. So that's a very, very damning piece of evidence that you see. And you will see that there are, you know, a huge increase in myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart in young people, especially young males. You'll see, I mean, hundreds of thousands of ear issues and eye issues. And so, and they happen like 70, 80% of the time within 24 to 36, 48 hours. This is in healthy, previously healthy people with no issues. You don't just lose eyesight or hearing or develop tinnitus or something like that for no reason. And we also know that these have neurological complications. So um, I think that's a really important thing to understand that I do believe that there is quality evidence of causation. And when you look at what's in these injections, it's not being released. You have an FDA, which is, has actually tried to block the release of the Pfizer clinical trial data for 75 years. Thankfully, a judge overruled that request by FDA. And if that's not a, a red flag to viewers, I don't know what is, because when a federal health agency is seeking to suppress documentation that should be available to the public, rather than demanding that it be <laughs> released, you know they're playing for the other side, right? You know they're not on your side. And so why would you trust them with anything? So with respect to what's in them, oh my goodness, it is just terrifying. You just look at the basic ingredients and we know that there's lipid nanoparticles, which are toxic in and of themselves, and that those lipid nanoparticles coat this genetically created messenger RNA or genetic code, um, genetically modified, I should have said, um, genetic code, right? It's synthetically created. And what it is, they create these synthetic genetic codes, inject them in. Um, the Someone who's worked with Moderna has said that basically this is hacking the basic software of life. That's what he says. And it's coated in these lipid nanoparticles. And the reason for that is that the fats, our cell membranes are fatty, and it, it bumps up against the cell membrane, and then the, the, mem the cell allows it entry into the cell. Now, we were told originally that this stuff did not cross into the nucleus and never affected our genetics, and we now know that that's actually completely untrue. And they knew this. They say they didn't know this, but I don't believe that. Um, but there has been research now done independently showing that this, that this genetic material does integrate into our DNA and it persists for over a year um, and um, in our cells. And so there's the lipid nanoparticle, there's polyethylene glycol. And these are some of the things that have been admitted. Polyethyl polyethylene glycol is a toxin to which uh, a large percentage of the population, I think it's around 70%, has antibodies to. So that can cause an anaphylactic reaction in people. But the thing that's most nefarious and most frightening is the research that we've, we're seeing trickle out. Now, most of the physicians and scientists who are doing this research won't put their names to it because it's too terrifying and because they would get in a lot of trouble. They'd probably lose their positions. But 
there is evidence that there is some kind of, there's, you know, different kinds of metals and things in them, um, graphene oxide and hydroxide, and that there are some kind of nano um, particles that are um, these, these vesicles, these little fatty lipid bubbles, they, and I've seen this from scientists that I know, these bubbles open up and they break into smaller little bubbles and then they assemble into links, chain links, like links of little, like a daisy chain. And then over time at body temperature in an incubator, they assemble into all sorts of strange circuitry and things like this. Now, I've seen this from several different groups of scientists. Um, like I say, nobody's come forward, but there is something not right about these shots. We do not know what's in them. I, you, you know, I've seen these geometric things. I've seen what looks like antenna and there's layers. And, um, but the biggest thing is that it, this stuff is not there in the vials when they are cold and taken out of the freezer. It's not there. It, these things develop over the hours and days when they are kept in an incubator. And, um, anyone who's injecting these things into themselves is just taking the word of these authorities and Pfizer um, and all the other pharmaceutical companies that there's nothing else in them. And, you know, listen, caveat emptor, buyer beware. It's up to you to do your own research. I'm hearing now that there, that there are some life insurance companies who are saying that um, you chose to take an emergency use product and it's on you. It was experimental. It's on you. It's your problem. I've heard, I've not verified this, that no, they're now I've heard the same. Meaning it's suicide potentially. I early on, I have to tell you that I have a friend who sells insurance and I had her look into this and she heard from her insurance companies, but this was over a year ago. This was way before there was the 40% increase in death, non COVID death in Americans between the ages of 18 and 65, right? Everyone's heard about this, I'm sure. So it was well before this happened and these insurance companies realized that they were going to have a major liability problem. And so back then, over a year ago, I was told it wasn't going to be the case. Um, I don't know if that has changed now. So all I can say is the onus is on each and every one of us to do our research and you're not going to find independent analysis in the mainstream. You've got to seek out the independence. In fact, turn off the television, turn off the mainstream, do not read a mainstream corporate state associated media outlet of any kind. Don't read, don't watch it, don't whatever, except to let yourself understand how they're spinning things, how they're portraying it. Like once you start reading the independent stuff and you then look at what's happening in the mainstream, then you can see like, I mean, Ukraine's a great example. Putin is bad, Putin is bad, Putin is bad. No one talks about the Budapest Agreement during which NATO agreed to never expand into the countries right around Russia and that the Ukraine would remain independent. No one talks about the Minsk Agreements under which um, the Russian, ethnic Russian, 98% ethnic Russian, the Donbass territories would be given the right to um, vote on autonomy and it's not been honored. Nobody talks about those things. Nobody talks about the fact that on February 20th, Kamala Harris went to Europe and suggested in public that Ukraine join NATO. 
She did that. Nobody talks about the fact that the U.S. government, that Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, former um, now deceased uh, Senator John McClain, and Amy Klobuchar, was she governor? I think, or maybe she's a representative. Amy Klobuchar, she ran for president. They all went to Ukraine and they told the neo-Nazis that we stand with you, that our fight is your fight, and that the U.S. has been funding these. Now, I am not saying that Putin is, is good and the Ukraine is bad. I'm just saying it's not black and white. But when you start to take into account all this other information, it's like, well, what would the U United States do if Russia tried to install um, missiles on Cuba right off of our shore? We would do something. And we know from history we would do something because we've already done this, right? So my point is, it's like there's been, once you start looking at the all, you know, the independent media, then you can go back and look at the mainstream media and you can understand. You can see it for yourselves. You can see the propaganda, the machine at work. And once you've done that, you will never, ever be able to unsee it. Absolutely. And Leslie, I'd love to ask you another 100 questions, but I know we're time constraints and uh, I'll pass you on to Hartman. Okay. My my pleasure, Leslie, to have you here in this call. And this is, uh, yeah, it's a very compact podcast with all the important information concerning the jabs. And uh, I would like to go directly to the economy and the jabs. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I would like to recommend all people who are listening to this. Um, if you Google, if you look, search on YouTube and you can take a look for Professor Yuval Noah Harari. Um, he is um, a professor of the Department of History of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. And uh, there is, maybe you find this video, it's, um, he has the bookshelves behind himself. And uh, in the, the, I think so at the minute 25, 26, he says a very, he made a very interesting quote. He says, humans are now, are now hackable animals. The whole idea that humans have the soul or spirit and nobody knows what's happening inside them, and they have free will that's over. And he doesn't and even just say that, Harmon. He says, it's over. It's over. The idea that you're an individual with something special going on inside of you, it's over. Yes. Literally, that's, sorry, yes. I just... I no, that's, 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 that's a fact. And the situation, what we are talking about here is, um, it's uh, you said we we let the government do the problem is we have now a technocracy 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 uh, like china for example we have vanguard we have blackrock they both have 16 trillion dollars in their pockets mm -hmm. microsoft is doing and they are doing let's say they are making uh, they collect information for the last 40 years and the interesting thing is that Microsoft is uh, is doing the software for them, so that they collect the information and and so Microsoft is organizing the software. So we have a you and you, know, you can take it to to Facebook and Amazon and all that scrap together. And these people, let's say one hundred ninety nine people around the globe, they can have they have the power by this money. And as you and as you were in this business, in the, in this bank, then you know that how many money, for example, makes a bank, 
during one day in comparison to a usual worker on the street. Yeah. And there is, for example, this very nice calculation. For, exa for example, if you uh, divide 70 through the interest rate, then you know that the then, then you know the timing for double your income. For example, you say 10,000 years, 70 by let's say 5%. With after 14 years, roundabout, you have to double 20,000. Mm -hmm. But the banks they make, for example, I don't want to tell the percentage on the uh, <laughs> in the show, but they make, for example, 100% per day. And then you have this huge amount of money and you have to meet people. And the problem is the, the let's say the, the, all the corporations, they only think in money. They don't think in people. And the question is, and, and we see how, and, and uh, by the quote of Professor Yuval Noah Harari, we see how they see us. Yeah. So the question is, if they are so huge on the one side, how can I get the feeling that I'm also strong? What do you? How do you see this perspective? How, because you you know the people on the streets, you know the you know the power of people by the movie, and on the other side you'd see the big yeah. the big tech company, and this is. That's it. It's it's a, it's like playing chess. Yeah. So I think it's really important to connect one other dot, which is that Yuval Noah Harari isn't just a professor. He's an advisor to the World Economic Forum. Okay. Right? Yes. Okay. He has yeah. been advising Klaus Schwab for years. And there's and I don't that's not an accident, right? He's I think actually putting out the agenda which is transhumanism, right? That we'll have implants. And when I talk about this circuitry, it's, I mean, when I look at it, it, I mean, it's hard to conclude it's anything other than circuitry that's being injected into people. And when you consider the push for 5G and how there is seemingly no ability to um, stop it, you know, people have been fighting back against it and it's not doing anything, right? Like it's having no impact. It's just this inexorable push towards 5G, despite the fact that the people don't want it or need it. That's very clear that it's all part of the same agenda. The Just so that people understand, there's something called the Internet of Things, which is all of our appliance being hooked to the internet, and they need 5G for that because it's close to your home. It's in everything. And then there's something called the Internet of Bodies. Um, we can all... <laughs> It's pretty easy to understand what the Internet of Bodies is, um, and it's connecting us to the Internet. And the reason is for what Yuval Noah Harari says, it's so that they, we can be actually monitored and manipulated through the Internet. And the, the, the way that they're going to do this is not just by base stations at our homes, but through low Earth orbit satellites. And so Elon Musk and Bill Gates both have their own projects. Starlink is Gates is Musk's and Earth now, I think, is Gates's, and I believe that Starlink has about 1,700, the last time I checked, it's been a few months, 1,700 low Earth orbit satellites. My husband went for a walk the other day. We live in rural Idaho, and he saw two or three low Earth orbit satellites over him when he was outside at night. Okay. Um, Gates has launched through Earth now about 1,000, last time I checked. 
the reason for these, and this is the reason it's so important, I just want this backdrop, okay? They want live, real-time video surveillance of every square inch of Earth. And it's going to be facilitated through those. So that's their agenda, right? To be able to monitor every square inch of the planet, every square centimeter, right? Every little tiny bit. That's their plan. But the thing is, how many people are there, Harkmoot, of these bad guys? I don't know. I mean... The problem is, uh, what, you, what I want to add as well is that during the... I got the impression that during the night, they increase the frequencies so that the immune system gets attacked during the night. I had not heard that. I didn't know that, but it... Listen, I have said this for a long time. We're at war. Most people just don't realize it. We are. We're at war. No shots have been fired in most of our countries, but um, there is a full-on war against humanity going on. And there's also, in my view, the Western civilization. There's a war against Western civilization. And our governments and our corporations are committing economic and political suicide deliberately so that they get to reset on the other side. But the answer is... You know, even if there are a million of them, there are 8 billion of us. And, you know, just 10 days ago, actually it'll be two weeks tomorrow, the child of a friend of mine, the baby, 10-month-old baby of a friend of mine was kidnapped by Child Protective Services under very strange circumstances. And all because the mother missed a weigh-in for the baby, even though she'd been at the doctor the day before and three days before that with her infant. And they took the baby. And the reason I'm telling the story is because there were massive protests. There was huge media coverage of it all across the nation in all the media. And people were calling Child Protective Services, the state health department, the doctor, the hospital, harassing, harassing, harassing. They were outside the hospital, outside the police station. And you know what? The judge ruled on Wednesday night that that child that I know and I know was a loved, beautiful child who was, yes, thin, but it's because he was having problems digesting protein unless it was his mother's breast milk. So she was just feeding him, taking care of him, and he digested that well. Anyway, on Wednesday night, the judge ruled that the baby would be handed over to state custody and put into what's called foster care for 30 days that was on wednesday around five or six o'clock in the evening by noon on friday they gave the baby back now why did they do that because of the power of the people right, right. the only thing that is going to change anything is us we can do this and the thing is listen they own the media they own the universities they own the journals, they own all of that. We're not going to win by fighting them in their place. We win by creating our own system. We win by enough of us showing up. And in some ways, I said this earlier, I think when I was um, talking with Greg, that we have allowed this to happen because you know why? Because Western civilization has gotten fat, sick, and complacent. We have not paid attention. We have not been engaged. We don't hold our politicians accountable. And you know what? We have the power to change all of that. All we have to do is re-engage, show up.
and demand that our natural rights be honored. And that, you know, listen, this is, this is it. We're not taking no for an answer. I mean, listen, some of us will probably be injured at some point. Maybe some of us will be killed. I have friends in the last week, Willem Engel in Holland, he's been arrested and charged with terrorism. Two days ago, Virginia, I had to say her last name, she was an, she's an attorney involved in the grand jury. She was arrested in front of her children on Tuesday morning. Makes me sick, okay? But the thing is, if we make a big enough stink about this, it's because we are a thorn in their side because they know that we have the truth. We have the truth, we have decency, we have humanity, we have honesty, we have righteousness on our side. We have everything on our side. They have nothing. And they know, they're desperate. So my point is, work together in your communities. Don't try and solve the world. My new mantra is, yes. localism is the problem, localism is the solution. Create your own school, create your own healthcare system, Take money out of the bank. In fact, if I lived abroad, I'd have a lot of U.S. dollars in paper. 70% of all U.S. dollars are actually paper dollars are outside the United States because it's the reserve currency. And just for a period of time, as we recalibrate things, it will come, it will come in handy, I think. But create your own local currency. And this is all going to be black market and underground. It's going to have to be for a period. I'm, Harmut, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Don't, don't think I'm saying that, oh, you know, it's just going to be, we just have to do this. It's all peachy. We are going to, no, have no. to, we are going to have to dig very deep. We are going to have to have extraordinary courage. We are going to have to come together. We are going to have to link arms with members of our community that we have never, ever connected with before, but together we can, and I believe we will win. I had I had a very interesting conversation uh, one and a half year ago with a good friend of mine who comes from the east, and I live in the west. And the interesting thing is we talked about uh, um, about capitalism and communism. And, uh, and, the, and the interesting thing was that he said, "Okay, look now if you're in the in this in our city in the store, you can see twenty glasses of sausages. Yeah, but if." Um, if you would uh, use the, um, let's say, concerning the health condition on sausages, or that's uh, the food conditions on sausages from the Soviet Union, only three glasses would pass the quality. The rest would always be rubbish. And the interesting thing is, he said, look, in the Western world, you had everything to consume. And we didn't have m much products. But the only thing what we had is we had knowledge. And we had the and we learned to uh, take information, to analyze information, and to react accordingly to the analyzed information. But in the capitalism countries, you learned how to consume. Mm -hmm. You learned from, let's say, if you are young, you have you have you have a Beetle, but then you learn to get a Mercedes or a Bentley. <laughs> so this is. So the focus is on consuming and not on learning. And for this reason, there are many people. We are we become. Let's say it this way: this is, a pro, this is the awakening process. The awakening process is to see what is really essential in life, and what not. And and many people, let's say, who are in this consuming world, they prefer, let's say, a tweet on a Twitter. And this is the information, this is, for example, enough for a political information. 
instead of listening to a to a to a speech of thirty minutes where you get every time a, a very big information, because it's not possible for them anymore. And this is the and the problem is that this was a brainwash by the Western, which was done in the Western world. For example, in Germany, in the Frankfurt School. Hundred percent. So. Well and, and the Frankfurt School came to America. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it came to America. And, but, and but so there, we... But one big difference, Hartmut, I would say. First of all, what is society for? It's because we come together for mutually beneficial things. And I would still rather have my standard of living and my lifestyle and the opportunity to educate myself than to live under fear of the Stasi. Right? Of course. Things. And so the, the problem is that I believe, this is just my view, but I think that the real problem is that we have all taken our eye off the ball and allowed ourselves to be hypnotized. We have been brainwashed, for sure. It's actually legal in the United States now to, for the government to disseminate propaganda, to propagandize American citizens. It's legal. It was legalized in 2013, and then they set up a program and funded it in 2016 to do so. So anything in the major media is probably, it has the possibility of being dishonest. And so yes, I'm 100% with you. Major problems. Um, but the real problem is that we have become complacent. We have stopped showing up. We've stopped demanding. We've stopped saying, no, you're not gonna do that. We've stopped holding them accountable. And so we've allowed it to spiral out of control, right? We've allowed the pendulum to swing so far to the dark side that now it's the system has to really implode. And all I'm saying is that people should grow their own food. Even if you live in a, in a small apartment, you can do something on the roof or you can, you know, there are ways to do things, to grow fruit, food, to make yourself more self-sufficient. And my point is that the power truly is in the people and it's truly local. And that's how we fix things. We're not going to, I mean, I can't go and I can't go to war with Goldman Sachs. We're not going to do that, but we can create our own communities that show the way forward for other people and render the old system obsolete and also help us survive and develop resilience in the, in the meantime. Brilliant. Thank you. No, this from go, no, the, your last statement. Um, global, globalism bring, brought the destruction, and uh, local location brings the solution. It's it literally. I don't know why it came to me about two weeks ago. I was just thinking. That's brilliant. About, globalism is the problem. Localism is the solution. That's it. And the thing yeah. is. You don't have to worry. The, it, the whole thing is literally going to go down at some point. As long as we stand up and say, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, don't give it any energy. I'm not going to participate in that anyway. I'm not going to. And the other thing is, what happens if 10% of the population stops going to their hospitals? It's going to yeah. change. What happens if we stop buying their food? You know, all these things. It's going to make a difference. Yes. Definitely. So much more empowering, right? It's like, ah, oh, I'm overwhelmed. What am I going to do? No, you can do something one step at a time. Brilliant. Thank you so much. I pass you to Grace. Most brilliant. Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, you guys.
my doorbell's probably going to ring because I think my guy to fix my internet is here, <laughs> just so you know. And I should probably... <laughs> well, Leslie, tell... yeah, why don't you tell the audience how, you know, they can support you? I know I have the websites here, but, you know, for the audio uh, okay. listeners, so go ahead. Hold on just one second. Jamie, can you get the door? It's... Don't worry. Thank you. Um, okay, so how to find me. Um, you can watch the movie at greatergoodmovie.org, and you can find... We don't update that. Don't join that newsletter because we don't send one out. Um, but you can see there's over 200 scientific papers there in our research corner, and you can stream the film or order a DVD from there. And um, even though the movie's 10 years old, it's as relevant today as it's ever been. And, um, you know, it's really worth watching. So um, that's greater good movie. And then the best way to find me is at Health Freedom Defense Fund, which is health, our website is healthfreedomdefense.org. No fund on it, just healthfreedomdefense.org. And on there, you'll find a list of all of our lawsuits. There's a legal corner. There's a, a learn corner where you can see my presentations and interviews I've done, and you see the articles that we write and publish and updates. And coming soon, like I said, there will be a, um, um, a more expanded resources area, which has these kind of how-tos to do some of these things that I'm talking about. Um, it may take some time, but I really want to empower people to build their own health system because that's you know, one of the things that keeps people in the old system is fear of not being able to help themselves. And I would also highly recommend that people look into homeopathy. Because you can buy a homeopathic pharmacy very cheaply and keep it at home, and you can take care of your family that way. I'm a qualified homeopath. I have a massive pharmaceutical, uh, homeopathic pharmacy, raised my son exclusively on homeopathics. It's the greatest magical medicine. And they attack it, the Western, you know, the, the allopathic doctors attack it and the whole system attacks it constantly because they know it's the gravest threat to them. So um, anyway, more of that kind of stuff so that people are empowered and are more self-sufficient because that's really the answer. Thank you so much. Um, Roy Hartmut and I would like to say thank you for being with us. And we really hope to have you again next time in the future because we have a podcaster who is, a, she's just not available today. She's an, a naturopath and a homeopath. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay. So I'd love it. It's been a pleasure to be with all of you guys. Thank you so much for having me. And I'd be honored to come back and be with you again sometime. Okay. And thank you so much. Thank pleasure. you. Blessings to everyone. Thank you so much to you as well. Bye-bye.